Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, the official podcast of the High Speed Alliance, taking you further, faster, together. We are setting our course for freedom and legacy through mastery of business, finance, family, and lifestyle. Welcome to the High Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Forrest Bryant, and I'm very excited to have two of my friends on today, Bill Fairman and Wendy Sweet of Carolina Hard Money. How are you guys doing today? Excellent, Forrest. Great to see you. Yeah, we're doing Or great. hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see you and hear you, right? How are you, Wendy? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, Thank you well, for asking. Uh, great, great attitude. I know you've been uh, you've been been through some things here lately, but uh, you're still kicking. So uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah, people with us. Were, were teasing me. I had a, a, a what did they call it? A, a bad wing. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Little shoulder injury, but I'm 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 almost back. All right. Excellent. <laughs> well, I know you're a trooper. Um, well, I'm excited to have you guys today, Carolina Hard Money. Um, I've been a big fan and an investor of, uh, of yours for you know, several years, and uh, I'm, I'm just really proud to, to have you guys on today as we're getting ready to uh, launch our High Speed Alliance uh, with our, our first meeting coming up soon. But um, thank you guys for, for being on today. Um, hey, listen, we're, we're proud that you asked us to be on. So let's, uh, let's tell our listeners um, a little bit about, about Carolina Hard Money. I know you guys have been doing this for a while, and your brother and sister, and you both have a lot of experience in commercial and residential real estate, and you're doing hard money and private lending. And so, you know, why don't you guys just give us a little backstory about, you know, how you guys got into this business and just give us, give us a little bio Personally well, I, and I always, uh, professionally. Yeah, I always like to start it off with I was born a poor black child, but <laughs> <laughs> we just watched the movie The Jerk last night again for my kids to be able to see it. What a funny movie. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, really, it, it kind of started out by chance for both of us. You know, Bill's, he's going to give you the, his story about being in the mortgage business and he got me into the mortgage business, which I'm really grateful for. And after four months with him, I figured I knew everything. So I went out on my own <laughs> and um, actually opened up a, uh, a, a mortgage company that we only specialized in investor loans. And that's what was so awesome about um, working with Bill is the company that, that we were representing and that he was definitely the head representative there. Um, only did investor loans or their best product was an investor loan product. So it gave us the opportunity to really, really understand investors and how they work for those particular loans. No other heart, no other mortgage companies wanted to mess with those. Mm -hmm. So um, we took it on with a vengeance and because that's what we specialized in, that's what we did the most in. And um, after doing that for such a, such a long time, I, I had the ability to be able to, to see in investors, real estate investors who were wanting to qualify for loans. Some of them could qualify for a loan, but they couldn't find houses. The others, they could find houses, but they didn't qualify for loans. And because we were underwriting those type loans, we got to see how much money they had in the bank. So at that point, we were able to say, hey, this guy's got a self-directed IRA, um, or this guy's got some extra money in the bank. Maybe he'd be interested in lending you some money for your hard money loan, things that wouldn't qualify for a conventional loan. So that's really how the hard money part got started. Mm -hmm. um, and um, as it grew, uh, Bill, with all his experience in the commercial end, uh, we just got together and, and blew this thing up. 
right? Yeah. Uh, when we start, I've got almost 30 years experience in the mortgage industry. He started at 12. Um, yeah. <laughs> 13 actually. <laughs> um, that was back in the good old days, the investor loans where you didn't need any money. You didn't need to prove that you could pay any loans. Just fog <laughs> you did have a, you did have to have a good credit score. Uh, thank goodness those days are over with. Mm -hmm. uh, but with anything that happens in life, uh, it tends to bring uh, available new opportunities. And with all the regulation after the you know mortgage crisis, mm -hmm. it really opened it up for the private sector to get in there and fill the void that the mm -hmm. banks left. So it was a, a great time to uh, get into this business uh, full time into the, the hard money space specifically for small builders and, uh, you know, experienced rehabbers because they really had no resource for capital uh, unless they had an equity line on their home. Frankly, they had nowhere to turn to, to get money because banks aren't going to lend on a property that's not ready to be occupied. It's, you know, unless it's for owner occupied purposes. Well, y'all are really filling a filling a niche there, and and I would say, you know, looking at things which y'all started off in business is still very valid today. You still have a lot of capital out there, and you still have a lot of borrowers that need access to that capital to operate their businesses. That, that yeah, and and that never changes. It doesn't matter what the market is. There's always going to be a need for capital, right. and there's always going to be people that need the capital, right. <laughs> and there's always people that want to invest because they're always are they're, they're always going to be afraid of the stock market and because be. <laughs> they, ha they have no control number one and right. their stock market uh, investment is not backed by anything right you know there, there's no security there other than the goodwill of the market <laughs> right. and you know how that is it's only it's only good for the very large players. Right. And, right. you know, I've been doing this for 16 years, been doing hard money for 16 years. And even when everything was really high and when everything had crashed, hard money was still a necessary um, mode of lending. It was, it was what people needed to be able to do business. And what's really funny, too, is our our interest rates are right about the same that they've always been hmm. through that entire time. Uh, points are, are still for us in the Carolinas, right about the same that it's always been. And what's really interesting is the same things that the formulas that you use, the type of properties that you lend on, um, the type of people that you lend to, mm -hmm. all of that, if you're going to remain solvent, has remained the same as well. So it's, we survived the crash. That's what I tell everybody. So um, it's really amazing. It's, it, you know, it's one product. A lot of things changes, change about it, but the, the base never really changes. There's a formula, there's common sense. And as long as you go by that, you should be able to make it in this business. Excellent point. Yeah, solvency is usually a requirement for most businesses. So that's, <laughs> it sure helps. Very, very good point. Well, um, I know you guys are you're experts on a, on, a, on a lot of topics, uh, especially the hard money lending, the investor loans, the private lending. Um, let's kind of just get an overall view of where you think we guys are, where, where we are right now. Just 
you know, I know you specialize in North Carolina, South Carolina real estate markets, but if you just have any, I know you guys are plugged into a lot of different, different groups. It gives you access to um, a lot of trends nationally. And yeah, I, I know a lot of people think we're kind of maybe hitting the, hitting the top of the cycle here. Do y'all feel that way? Or do you buy into that? It just, you know, give me some comments on the, the current uh, real estate, you know, national market, and then kind of dial it in a little bit to, you know, what you guys are seeing in the Carolinas. Let's see, what day is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <Bill>. Well, <laughs> it's definitely a seller's market. Um, it's funny, you have people that are, are trying to buy still, uh, even though it's a seller's market. But a big problem that you have is a, a lot of people are afraid to sell their existing home because they can't find another place to move into. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but specifically in the Carolinas, there's still a lot of upside to this market because the appreciation that we see is from a lack of inventory, not from speculation. Right. We have specifically in Charlotte, uh, an average of 45 people a day move into Charlotte metro area alone. And, for at least five years after the crash, there was no new building going on. So there's definitely a need for housing. Nationally, we're finding the same things are true. Uh, there's not an oversupply. And you have to keep your eyes on those numbers. If you have appreciation that seems like it's unsustainable and you have an oversupply, you're looking at uh, you know the possibility it's going to be it's going to drop at some point quickly, <laughs> but we do not have an oversupply. Uh, in Charlotte, for example, in the two hundred and fifty to $500,000 price range, there's barely over two months supply of homes. And to be in uh, a market in equilibrium, you're really looking for a six month supply. Mm. So that tells you we have a, a lot of room to grow. Now at some point, uh, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, affordability becomes an issue. Uh, the benefit of the tightening of the lending guidelines on the conventional side is that they only allow for certain mortgage products. So when the, the affordability becomes an issue, prices will start to come back down a little bit because houses will stay on the market longer and they won't have those exotic mortgage programs to make you think you can afford a house that you really can't afford. <laughs> and that's what happened in our previous cycle. Absolutely. So, you know, I'll let Wendy. And ha having this. said all of that, um, one of the things we all need to be aware of is our history. And in history, it's, you know, since the history of the world part one, Every seven years, you're going to see an adjustment. It just seems to fall into that category. We need to expect that it's going to happen. What goes up must come down. It's just, you know, it's a law. It's the way it has to be. And we need to expect that. And, I, and it, it amazes me, even today, how people are making moves based on, boy, it'll never happen like it did last time. And, and that's silly. You, everyone should have a healthy fear that it's going to happen again and be prepared to that and understand you you have to change with the market. You know, is, is today a buy and hold market more so than a flip market? For me, it is. It's, it's much more of a buy and hold market than it is a flip market because 
you you are going to start to see some changes. It's one of the reasons why we're involved in so many masterminds across the country. You know, one of my favorite is um, Collective Genius, which it has a lot of investors, high it, high it, energy investors that Caliber. are doing really well. High caliber. That's a great word, Bill. Thank you. Um, that come from all over the country. You know, another one would be Freedom Founders, people that come to Freedom Founders. There's some awesome people in that group. But what they do is they they bring the knowledge of the area that they're investing in. And each person understands their market thoroughly, and they share what's going on in their market. So we can easily see what's going on as it's coming down the pike. You know, we, we saw... Long before the crash hit, we saw what was going on in California. Then we saw it hit um, Nevada. We saw it hit Florida. We knew it was all coming. We had plenty of time to get prepared for it. You know, when the hedge funds started coming in and buying up stuff, we saw that coming down the pike. So by the time it got to us where all the hedge funds were buying up um, so many houses, we were prepared to turn them into our friends rather than, oh, no, what are we going to do now? Um, So being involved in so many other opportunities around the country, it allows us to be able to, you know, start turning that ship before it hits us. Even now in our market, you know, we we can see the the real high-end luxury markets going soft. And what I mean is that it's just sitting on the market a little bit longer than normal. The prices are staying up. And they're selling, but they're just sitting a little bit longer than normal. We've been seeing that in California for a while now. So we just need to see what's around us and don't, you know, close our eyes and say, oh, no, it's not going to happen again. We need to be prepared for it. Yeah, you just need to keep your, you know, finger on the pulse. And these networking groups and mastermind groups that we're all a part of is a a great insurance policy. Mm. Um, it, it helps you understand the numbers and the numbers will tell you a lot of things. Um, I, I think there's going to be a correction in the next year, maybe two, maybe three, don't know exactly, but it's going to be a slight correction. Um, one thing that I'm happy about with this correction, if, if we lose half of our appreciation, we're down to the 30 year normal appreciation, which is three and a half. We're at, <laughs> we're at seven, seven and a half percent appreciation in Charlotte and taking it down to the normal historical is still positive. Right. right. Um, but, and I know you and I were at an event uh, recently and our friend Dave Steck has uh, all the uh, facts and figures and research and if you're one of these people that swing for the fences, uh, this is not a great market. He, he's thinking that, you know, it's got more downside than upside. Those of us that like to be in the steady markets, um, it, it really doesn't bother us that much. We, we're still looking and making sure, but we're not, we're, we're not too concerned. Right. Because we're not trying to... F- swing for the fences. We're just trying to be steady Eddie. Yeah, no, that's a very good summary of current conditions. Wendy, you mentioned the hedge funds. Um, At the meeting we were at this weekend, there was some some comments that maybe some of that money was drying up and it wasn't as hot as it used to be. Any any comment on just hedge fund 
activity in, in your area? In the well, there were, there were really two things that hedge funds have been doing. The, the first thing that they did when they, you know, attacked our area and, and everyone else's is they came in and they bought all the houses that were worth between 125 and, I don't know, 220 And they, they somewhat fixed them up, not much, but they started renting them because they were buying these houses um, on the basis that these houses were going to appreciate um, it's so they could get current cash flow on it. And in five to seven years, they're going to turn around and sell these houses. We can see now where they're starting to dump these houses. Um, it's not a big dump, but you can see them starting to do that. Uh, the other thing that a lot of hedge funds have been doing is they're, they're, they've got what I call stupid money. There's so many people throwing so much money in there and they've just got to deploy it. They don't care what they're deploying it on. They do have concerns about it. Don't I, I don't want to sound like they're just willy-nilly, but they are taking more chances than, say, we would take because they've got to get that money working. Now, the, the interest that they're paying out is a lot lower than what we're paying out, but they're at least getting that money working. Now, I am, yes, I am seeing some of that money um, dry up just a tad with some companies, but I'm also seeing it become more, um, how should I put it, more directed or um, focused. used properly focused would be a great word. It's, it's much more focused. I'm, I'm getting a lot of people now that have formed smaller uh, companies. And when I say smaller, I mean, they're not 500 million that might just be 250 million or, uh, you know, a little bit smaller. And what they're doing is they're coming to people like us, like Bill and I, who are focused in certain area. We've really got it honed in on what we do. They trust what we're doing. Um, they, you know, see that we have our ducks in a row and they're wanting to invest in what we're doing. They're, they're wanting to buy our loans and um, just, just try and get their money deployed in what we're able to put out because they just don't, have the the wherewithal or the understanding of each individual markets, which absolutely makes sense. So why not invest your money in the people that do? And that's what I see a lot more happening. Well, let me add to that too. The, the hedge funds have really stopped buying properties mm-hmm. and are moving more towards paper. Mm-hmm. They, they want to get into more of the lending side Fair of point. things. Um, so that's one reason they're shifting over to try and get into the hard money space with us. Now they're great at raising money, but they're not good at being bankers. Mm-hmm. And so even though they have stupid money, they don't have stupid managers. So they're smart <laughs> enough to, to deal with the people that know lending and know lending in a specific area and, and work with, with those folks to try and, spread that money into the lending side versus buying the homes. Right. And the, the, the other thing I wanted to point out is that, yes, they're going to be dumping these properties, but they're not dumb enough to dump them all at once right. because if they do that, then what are they doing? They're lowering the value of the properties that they have. Right. So they're going to do it over a long period of time to make sure that depreciation, or I'm sorry, the appreciation stays in place. Right. 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 Well, I've got a, uh, I got so excited with that, you know, this first part of the podcast, we're supposed to kind of keep it on a high level and keep, keep it kind of for, 
for, for, for new investors. And I just got so excited. I had to dive in there. That was more, a little bit more of an advanced topic for kind of the members only <laughs> section in the back, but that was, that was a freebie for our listeners there. So let me, let me <laughs> Sorry bring it back up. That. No, it's okay. I, lo- I love it. I love it. Let me, let me get my crayons back. Yeah. Up. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's circle back around. Let's take it back up to a high level and uh, let's start, let's define some, some, uh, some terms. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fund that you run and then talk a little bit about uh, investor loans or private lending. So uh, give us a little definition, uh, define these terms. What, what, what is hard money and how does that differ from the other things that you do? Well, now, what do you mean by that? How let, does me, it differ? let me give them my third grade answer. <laughs> Go ahead. So I, when people ask me what hard money is, I always say this. Hard money is a high interest, short term loan that allows the borrower the opportunity to buy a house, fix it up and turn around and either sell it or refinance it as a buy and hold. Today's banks, the conventional lenders will not lend money on a house that needs work. So that's where hard money steps in. And the way we lend money is we lend it based on the after repaired value of the house not what it's worth right now. That's another thing that a conventional lender would do is conventional lender would do it based on what it's worth now. So what we do is we take the list of repairs, we give it to an appraiser, and we have the appraiser do what we call a subject to appraisal, and we loan up to 70% of the after repaired value. So in our case, we lend 100% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab amount, and we control all of the rehab money. Um, we lend that to the borrower. So they come to the table by bringing the points that we charge and, and other small fees that we charge. Um, and we give them the money to buy the house, fix it up, and then kind of oversee it until they're completed and uh, ready to sell it or refinance it. And, uh, okay. <laughs> so the difference between hard money lenders and private lenders. People ask that all the time. What's the difference? Hard money lenders have a business. Private lenders, they're just using their own capital. Mm -hmm. And so you can get uh, lower rates and fees with a private money lender. We always tell people if you can find a private lender to do this, then you need to go there first. But if they're trying to scale their business up, private lenders typically don't have infinitely deep pockets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going to run out of cash available at some point. And if you're trying to scale your business up, you need to have a relationship with a hard money lender. Does that help? That was excellent. I love it. I love it. So let's kind of transition into talking about your fund a little bit. But before we do that, let's uh, I think we've got to define accredited investor because that's an important, important term to define. So let's Mm -hmm. let's talk about that. An accredited investor must meet one of two uh, criteria. You don't have to do both. Just one, one or the other. One is an income side. So if you're a single person, uh, $200,000 a year or actually, yeah, $200,000 a year or greater per year for the last two years, and we're assuming that you're going to make that going forward. For a family, it's $300,000 a year. If you don't meet the income components, then there's a, uh, a net worth so it's a million dollars in net worth, not counting your primary residence. Now, you're not going to have to worry about the mortgage on your primary residence because as we can't count it as an asset, we also can't count it as a debt. So if you're figuring your net worth, 
just eliminate the primary residence and eliminate the debt that's on the primary residence as well to come up with that. So we have a lot of people that qualify on the asset or the uh, net worth side because, frankly, it only takes a couple of three rental properties and a you know nice IRA account, and, and you're pretty close. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a really good point, and I want to make sure that my listeners understand that because um, – for we have a lot of uh, doctors, dentists, CEOs, and uh, a lot a lot of them are going to qualify as an accredited investor. And so when we talk about some of these th- uh, some of these investments like the like the fund, um, if they meet those accredited investor standards, they will be eligible to invest in uh, not only the fund but some other investments that we'll talk about. And so uh, when people come to our meetings and we kind of talk about different types of investments. That's a, a really important thing, but okay. So let's lead into the fund a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about the fund and how long you've been doing it and um, what types of uh, uh, real estate transactions does it invest in? Okay. So when we started out in business, we essentially were brokering other people's money. So if you had a, a, an IRA, self-directed IRA and you wanted to get a, a good return on it, we would make a loan, it would be in your name, and you would be the lender, and we would take the origination fee, and then the lender would receive all the interest. Mm-hmm. And, and that was great uh, until we reached a point where uh, average loan amounts were getting higher, and we were doing a lot more loans. <laughs> so uh, we decided that it made a lot more sense to start a 506D regulation fund. And there's two types of elections. You can do a C election or a B election. Uh, We invested, you know, over $50,000 in setting up the fund in the first place. The B election allows you for uh, non-accredited investors, but guess what? You're not allowed to advertise it. So we decided that if we were going to invest that much money in the fund that we would have to go the C election, which is accredited only uh, because we wanted to be able to tell people about it. It's a secret. (laughs) That's right. You don't want to have a secret (laughs) fund. You want to have one that people know they can get into. So what the fund invest in is, uh, you know, we make loans as a business. We make six to nine month uh, interest only construction loans. And that's where we get the money to make the loans with. Uh, The beauty of the fund is that you have a bunch of short-term high-yield loans in them. If you're in a fund, you're diversified over 35, 40, 50 loans, depending on how many loans are in the fund. If you're a lender on your own, you're putting a large chunk of change in the one asset. And while that that deal may go south at some point. It doesn't mean you're going to lose money, but we, we, we talk a lot about return on effort. And if you have to wait for the disposition of the property, say the worst case scenario, you have to foreclose on somebody. Those are payments you're not receiving. And that, that's grief you're having to put yourself through. Mm-hmm. If you're in a fund, you don't know any of that stuff's going on. It's just like putting your money in your local mutual fund and you're just getting a, a, a yield and a return at the end of every quarter. Um, the other positive thing about short-term loans is, you know, they, they are high yielding. The downside to short-term loans is uh, they end <laughs> and you have to turn around and get a new one. 
right? So if you're an investor, and I'll just give you an example. Let, let, let's say you're making 13.75% interest payments on a private loan, and it lasts six months. And then you get your money back because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's paid off and they, they, they return that initial investment to you. Well, it was nice you made, you got six payments at 13.75, but in reality, if you don't have that money reinvested this year, you only made six and seven eighths return on your investment. So when that money is returned to you, that's, that's idle money and there's a gap that's lowering your yields. Um, the other thing about a fund is that uh, not all funds, ours uh, does this specifically, but uh, we allow for reinvestment. So if you're receiving monthly interest payments, those payments that come in is also lazy money. It's sitting there not doing anything. It's too small of an amount to reinvest into another loan. So that money is sitting there idle as well. So in, in our fund, you're, you're allowed to reinvest your earnings each time. So I'm going to give you a rate example. Let's assume our annual return is 11.5%. And, and again, this is getting kind of into the weeds a little bit, but in about approximately six years using the compounding effect that you have by reinvesting your earnings, you should double your money in six years. And if you back that number into it, um, you've actually uh, earned north of 16.5% in that six-year period. So that, that's the beauty of a fund. It's diversity. It's uh, no headaches. You don't have to deal with all the stuff of being the lender. And you know that your investment is uh, secured by uh, real property. Because in a fund, you're actually part of an LLC. And the one. LLCs are the is the uh, company that has got the security of the note, the um, deed of trust, mm -hmm. the mortgage. Uh, it's all in the company that that you're actually a partner in. Uh, that, that's excellent, and that kind of leads right into uh, the next question. Uh, you know, if you've got a doctor or dentist or, or CEO, and they're looking for something very passive and very simple, I would think that the fund would be a perfect place to park that money. Yeah, it's a. Uh, we would think that too. <laughs> it, it's a. Uh, it's a no-brainer. I, I, I kind of laugh at people that go through all the grief to, you know, earn eleven and a half percent when you can earn eleven and a half percent and not really do anything but just admire your statements once a quarter, <laughs> <laughs> or or receive distributions. I mean, you can do it either way. But right. uh, why? Right. Why? Why reinvent the wheel when the wheel's already there? And, right. you know, we have, we have money in the fund. And even more importantly, our mother's money is in the fund. So um, we really have to be on our P's and Q's there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you're eating your own cooking. So yeah. <laughs> and, and let me reinforce that point that uh, a lot of funds for credit investors won't allow you to reinvest because those small amounts. So that's a huge difference between mm -hmm. what y'all do and some other funds that are out there. Um, that's a, that's a huge, huge benefit. Um, well, to, to be able to do that. again, it depends on the type of fund. We are a mortgage pool fund and all we do with that fund is lend money. Uh, other funds where you have syndications and, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but they're, 
they're not designed to reinvest. They're, they're designed to give you a return for a certain period of time, and then it stops. And then you get your investment back, and then you have to start all over again. So ours is open-ended, and it just continues as long as, you know, you want to continue to keep your money in there. Right. Right. So um, without getting too deep in here, but um, and I didn't, I, I was going to ask you this question, but do you, are y'all, I know you do one-off deals with your favorite investors. Is that open to the public? Do you still do that to, for, for other investors outside of your, your networks? Well, yes, we, we absolutely do that. However, we have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure the fund money is working at all times. So those one-off investors uh, do have an opportunity to get involved, but it's going to come secondarily to the fund. And I don't want to, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. It's the same loans, the same criteria. It's just, if there's money available in the fund, it goes out first. So it's not like you're getting, you're not getting secondhand loans. (laughs) You're getting, uh, we're just at a point in time where all the money in the fund is being used and now they have an opportunity to get involved and do the private lending side. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. I have a good, good clarification there. Um, all right. So let's get, um, let's kind of bring it back in a little bit. We're, we're, we're getting close to the end here for the, for the public, uh, section, but, um, let's see, what's the biggest mistake that you've made or that you've seen in, in real estate investing? Oh my goodness. All right. So <laughs> I can tell you my, uh, biggest mistake and the greatest thing we did all at the same time. The, the biggest mistake was going into business with your uh, sibling. And the best thing I ever did was going to business with my sibling. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Wendy. Uh, no, I think that was it. No, that was it. <laughs> uh, no uh, when we first got started, um, we made the mistake of making a loan. Now we didn't get burned on this, but we could have. Okay. Uh, we made a loan in a resort type of an area. And part of the criteria that we use is that the house has to be in an area where there's 90 days or less on market for the area. So if uh, a house is up for sale, it should take 90 days or less to sell. Now, we normally don't lend in resort areas, but this appraisal came in 90 days. I mean, the comps... Uh, two of them were 30 days and one of them was 60. Um, the problem with resort areas is that tends to change. Yeah. <laughs> and our poor borrower, while they made all the payments on time and continued throughout the whole time of this deal, again, that, that could have two years. Yeah, worth. it could have been one that came back to us because uh, it took them uh, really two years to sell the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was a big mistake, and we won't we won't make that again. We mm-hmm. stick to, you know, the major metro areas. And if you're thinking about lending money, make sure you stick in a place that uh, is going to sell quickly, because that money doesn't do you any good if it's sitting in a house you can't get rid of. And you got into lending because you don't want to be a landlord. When we look at a property, we always, always, always ask ourselves this question. How long is it going to take me to sell this house when I have to take it back? Not if, we assume when. And when a lender thinks that, the borrower should be thinking the same way because it's a protection for them 
And it's, you know, time is money on both sides, whether it's ours or whether it's the borrower's money. Time is money. And getting in and out of that deal is as quick, it needs to be as quick as possible. So, you know, that's the one question we always ask ourselves. And I always tell borrowers when I talk to them on the phone is, have you asked yourself that question? How long is it going to take you to sell this property when you're done? Okay, guys. So, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they, you know, get inspired to go off and, and get in, get involved in real estate investing, uh, do you recommend that they try that on their own or, you know, how, how, how do they do that? Well, it's funny you ask. We, <laughs> we are getting probably every month we get a radio commercial about uh, the newest real estate guru coming to town. And what really makes me laugh is it's all free. The, the, right. <laughs> and the commercial is we have a two hour intensive real estate uh, class and you'll be able to go out and do all this, that, and the other. Well, you know, I've been in the mortgage business 30 years. Uh, Wendy has been in real estate and in the mortgage business for 25. Again, she started when she was 11. So, <laughs> And yes, I am much younger than that. And we're learning all the time. I mean, we're still learning because the industry changes uh, all the time, right? And we have the, our, our fingers on the pulse. So the first thing that I suggest people do is get involved in their local real estate investor clubs. It's, there's a national RIA, and that's, you know, R-E-I. Hey, <laughs> it's hard, hard for me to spell four letters, um, but they can go on the national RIA site and find, see if they have any clubs in their area. Uh, it's uh, really about education. It's like $125 a year, depending on your local chapter. And it's the best education you can get. Uh, the next thing that you want to do is uh, make sure that uh, you network with like-minded individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're on a higher level in business. We do a lot of masterminds for real estate. We do masterminds for uh, just becoming better business people as well. Uh, you, you need to always strive to challenge yourself to be better. But what's most important is if you're going to get involved in real estate, especially if you're new, you need to get involved with people that are already doing it for a business, for a living. Um, there's, if you have capital, for example, all these companies need capital. They need access to capital. I mean, we need access to capital. We, we're lending money out. You're much better off investing in a fund with us, for example, than going out and trying to lend money on your own. How do you know how to evaluate a property? How do you know how to evaluate the borrower? Um, we've been doing it for years and years and years. You're, you're better off and you're safer getting a mentor and getting involved in your uh, local real estate uh, investor community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, my role in the company is I put the money out, Bill raises it. I put it out. So, you know, I'm, I'm the one on the front line talking to the investor when they're trying to get a loan in the first place. And that's absolutely part of my interview question with them on my first contact is, you know, how long have you been investing? Are you involved in your local real estate investor association? That's, that's just a standard question that I ask. Mm -hmm. And I'm always surprised at how many of them say no, uh, because it is truly the cheapest, deepest education you'll ever get 
It really is. It, it's the, the, the exposure that you get to all types of investing by attending those meetings. And then the key to not just going to those once a month meetings is they have subgroups that meet throughout their town, throughout the week at breakfast, lunch, and dinner that are, you know, 5, 10, 15 people. I lead one here in Charlotte um, at 7 a.m. on Friday mornings called Sunrisers, S-O-N. It's a faith-based investor group. We have 55 to 60 people that show up every Friday morning. And everybody in there, I should say everybody, 80% of the people in there are heavy hitters and have been investing for years. So I encourage people, no matter where you are, find out where those subgroups are meeting and go to those meetings because people are just willing to share and, and that's where you're going to meet the person that you can hook up with and get into a deal with or find a wholesaler that's looking to sell properties. Or if you're wholesaling, that, those are the people who are going to buy them from you. Right. So you can't get a better match than that. See, and the biggest mistake many people getting into real estate make is that they start off as a speculator because they don't know enough about the real estate industry. They just assume it's like the stock market. You buy low and sell high. And most people only get into a particular industry when they hear how hot it is. And if it's a hot market, you're already buying it high. <laughs> you're not buying it low, right? Um, so, you know, the vast majority of the people that lost money in the last cycle was because they bought high and they had to sell low. <laughs> and you need people that are in the business, understand the business, been in the business to figure out when the cycles are and why uh, – you know, why you're buying this property. Are you buying it for cash flow? Uh, if you're going to fix and flip it, that's the only way you're going to make uh, money on appreciation. And we, we like to call that forced appreciation. We, mm-hmm. our, our people are adding square footage and making the house more expensive, unlike the flip and flop and uh, fixer upper and, and that stuff you see on TV. They make it look really nice. And that's one concern I have right now, and I'm sure y'all see it. Uh, so many, so many weekend warriors are out there, and they watch flip this house, and they uh, they they think they know what they're doing, and they get out there. And there's a lot of that happening right now, and that's where I'm, uh, that's that's one indicator that things are getting a little bit hot when everybody thinks that real estate's the place yep. to be. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, getting into a network with trusted advisors is really critical, and that's what we do at High Speed Alliance is we teach uh, doctors and CEOs how to do this in a safe manner. And so, um, uh, appreciate those comments. So what about, uh, do you have a favorite quote or a favorite book or resource you want to share? Well, we, you and I had talked about this earlier. Um, you know, my favorite quote is, uh, Jim Rome, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that is mm-hmm. oh so true. Uh, the more that I've gotten involved in masterminds and networking, uh, the smarter I've become. <laughs> and my wife will tell you I'm no rocket scientist. But, sure uh, you are, bro. <laughs> um, and then uh, a book that I really like, and it's short and sweet and uh, the, the kind I like. It's in depth, but it's short and to the point. Is change your questions, change your life. Mm-hmm. And what it does for me is it allows you to look at a situation from somebody else's shoes or from another point of view. For example, if let's say you're uh, someone that's assigned to on your team that's assigned to production numbers, 
instead of saying, why aren't you hitting your production numbers? And automatically they're going to be defensive about that, right? You would say, in your opinion, because we, we see that you haven't hit those numbers, but in your opinion, what do you think the obstacles are that are keeping you from hitting those numbers? Instead of, you know, all of a sudden blaming them, <laughs> right? You're, you're, you're taking that veil of them automatically becoming defensive. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're there to find out the answers, not to blame anyone. And sometimes we get into the habit of asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Just rephrase it. Think about it first. And, and this book does a, goes a long way into helping with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. What about you, Wendy? My favorite book is the Bible. And, it, it, you know, I, there's so many good ones out there, but that one tops them all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I often tell people I'm so surprised at how the best business plan you will ever have is Proverbs. It is so business oriented. If you really read through that with the attitude of how, what, what are the things that I need to do to run my business properly? It's step by step. It's and and it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing how that um, collates. But, um, okay, I want to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> She's putting us all to shame, but <laughs> Wendy is an ordained minister, correct? That, that's correct. I, I, I did graduate from uh, seminary, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, so uh, what about uh, freedom? We're all about freedom. So what, what is your definition of freedom? Mm. Well, my definition of freedom is not needing to go to work, but I do it because I love doing it. I'm almost there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love what I do, but I also appreciate the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> my definition of freedom would be able to would be being able to give back 100%. Um and what I mean is not just money, but time. Um, I, I, I really, really look up to the guy um, from Caterpillar Tractors. That guy gives 90% of his income. Did you know that? That's amazing. That amazing. It, it's amazing. And um, I, I just, you know, admire him and am just, you know, would love to emulate that and, and be in a position where, you know, giving back would be my daily routine, just my daily routine. So I'm thinking if he invested in real estate and he had a nice passive income from real estate, he can afford to give up 90% that's right. of his paycheck. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the goal. We get the passive income up and we don't have to worry about the active so much. That's right. right. That's right. That's, right. Uh, that's great. Well, um, uh, this has been great. Uh, if our listeners want to get in touch with Carolina Hard Money, how, how, how do you recommend that they do that? Well, the easiest way is carolinahardmoney.com. Our website is uh, easy to get to, easy to navigate. All of our contact info is there. And uh, it also really goes into in-depth of what it is we do for both borrowers and investors. So at carolinahardmoney.com. You've been listening to the High Speed Podcast. To read our blog and to learn more, visit our website at www.highspeedpodcast.com.